Class is in session. You're listening to Squat University by Dr. Aaron Horshake. Let's go! Now, let's start the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for checking out today's show. This is episode 59 of the Squat University podcast. The goal with each and every one of these shows is to bring you as much value-packed content to help you move better in the gym and in life, decrease your body's aches and pains, and help you reach your true athletic potential. Now, guys, I am pumped for today's episode because I am joined by none other than Dr. Kelly Starrett, founder of Mobility Wad and author of one of my favorite books, Becoming a Supple Leopard. Kelly started his daily YouTube show back when I was still working my way through physical therapy school, and the amount of fire content this guy gave out for 100% free on YouTube, without a doubt, had some of the greatest impact on my career and where I wanted to go once I graduated. So Kelly, it is truly an honor to have you on my show today. For the five people out there who have never heard of you, can you just give me a brief background into who you are and the work that you do? Wow. First of all, it is so fun to be chatting you up. You guys are killing it. Your community is killing it. Um, it's so thoughtful and good. Um, second, uh, I just have to say that, you know, I was, I was in a traveling folk dance troupe as a child. People don't know that. And, uh, that probably led me down this path. Look, I'm a, I'm a coach. I'm an athlete who was a perfect product of the system and broken and began to, you know, sort of get to the bottom of this thing on the national team, met my wife, who's a world champion and knew ultimately, I honestly had a moment of Satori. I was, I was out surfing and I saw physio school and I saw owning a gym. I saw it in a moment of clarity. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that this journey would take my wife out of being a you know, senior associate, partner, kind of track person, lawyer, CEO. Like this thing wasn't even a possibility. I mean, you mentioned we just, you know, the first mobility whatever and when we started that, the iPhone didn't have a video camera. Right? <laughs> yeah. YouTube was barely thing. There was no Twitter yet. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think the way we're communicating and how we're seeing and the amount of information we can see in process, obviously, is a little bit of a double-edged sword sometimes mm-hmm. in terms of the dilettantism. But we had no idea that this is where we were going to go. So I'm a physio. I'm a coach. I'm a nerd. Um, I think that we have a op- real opportunity right now to get things better. And if I, ha- and I've been saying this for a while, but if I have to give ourselves a grade as a strength and conditioning community, as a physical therapy community, we get a D mm-hmm. and mainly we get a D because there are people like you who are actually trying to improve the ball, but we haven't reached middle America. I'm talking about people who are not, you know, don't have a squat rack in their house. Things are changing and it may be just at the glacial speed is the breakneck speed, but man, we have, we're still slipping through the cracks. Kids are still blowing their ACLs. So much confusion. I mean, we were just in New York city. This is the says it all. There was a new diet they were talking about on the led screen mm-hmm. and it's called pagan. Pagan. Paleo plus vegan. Oh, wow. So let me, exp- <laughs> Juliet and I looked at each other and we're like, okay, we've gone crazy. Yeah. Plant-based diet plus small amounts of protein. And we're like, <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. You mean eating food. So yeah. <laughs> that, if that's, if that's the message we're sending, you can see how, if you sometimes feel confused and I sometimes feel confused, yeah. um, 
you know, what are the average people just who just want to feel better or want their kids to play better soccer more safely? What's it look like? And, and we're in the middle of this gigantic experiment for the next, I mean, we're going to see what happens. And then we're seeing the fundamental erosion of the human being in terms of the environment and stress mm-hmm. on the environment and sleep and nutrition. So, I mean, I could, I'm holding on, like looking over the edge and like, holy crap, this is the truth. And I, I feel like I'm in the right, right seat at the right time. But man, uh, I, I'm glad to be having this conversation with you because you see, you see as much dirt and you see the landscape the way I do. And I, I really feel like um, it's an exciting time now because there are some people who are really serious and who are, have been really chipping away at it for years. And that's what's going to take. So stoked to get stoked to be here, man. Yeah. Well, I know one of the things you, you talked about reaching middle America and just everyone else. And one of the things that I think you did so well back in the day when you started the YouTube show was you didn't speak from an ivory tower looking down at everyone else. Like you used common language that's available in everyday gym culture and is definitely more so available now just because everyone's starting to talk about mobility. Or if you say, you know, we need external rotation, like people understand that now. And it's, it's common language because you're like, if this feels funky, Whereas like, if you heard a doctor say that 10 years ago, they're like, what the, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But like, yeah, you, 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 have a, you have an insertion problem of your distal pectinea. Like what? <laughs> yeah. What does it even mean? You know? Exactly. Yeah. But it's like, if you can come at it with that knowledge and background, but then speak to someone in a level that they understand, like that's where you make the impact in the world. And that's what I well, saw that happen with, with your show that just uh, took over. So, I mean, I can only be standing on the shoulders of, of you that's come before me and the stuff that I've done. So it's, it's just well, awesome to be able to see that. You know, we are a generation of physio coaches and it's yeah. the fir- maybe we're not the, obviously we're not the first mm-hmm. Greg Cook, uh, Gary Gray. There are enough moving coaches out there who it's easy to forget how many brilliant people have been. Mike Boyle has been trying to solve these problems forever. Right. Sure. Um, comma. We're this next generation that gets to benefit from a lot of inf- a lot of a lot of experimentation. Like some of the things that I I think sometimes we lose narrative on is, um, you know, the functional movement screen came around in 1996, mm-hmm. and I I try to remind people I'm like, hey, can you show me your cell phone from 1996? Yeah. What car were you driving in 1996? <laughs> what, what, like what MP3 player? Oh, you didn't have one. So exactly. You know, if we didn't, if we weren't able to integrate and synthesize and progress this thinking, then it's really a failure of the generation and a failure of our educational system. Sure. And something that I think you bring up, sort of two points. One is that my wife is smart enough. She's the, the talent in the family. Mm-hmm. And um, she's always saying, hey, too much jargon, too much jargon, too much jargon. And I'm like, dude, it's called flexion. She's like, too much, too much jargon, you know? So I really appreciate that Juliet has always said, you need to go back and make it simpler so that your daughter can understand. And yep. so I'll always go to that. And that's actually part of our training to use pa- patient-based language, right? So yep. what language we should be using, it's the language of the push-up, the pull-up, the squat. So that and turned out, you know, because I was suddenly exposed, I mean, my first semester of physio school, I found CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was, I mean, I've said this before, but it was like two roots growing together, in two trees. Like I, you can't parse them out. Yeah. I suddenly had to understand and make sense of what I was learning as a physio and reconcile with that with my own experience as an athlete. And those are really at odds a little bit, you know, the way I trained and the way my friends trained, my Olympian friends, trained, I was like, oh, yeah. this is this, these short arc quads really aren't getting it done. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's really weird. It was like, I was learning a, a correlate language for how the body moved. Yeah. And that correlate language was like Esperanto. You know what I mean? It was like, it wasn't even a language anyone spoke. 
And then I would be like, well, we train in English, but we rehab and, you know, in archaic (laughs) Portuguese. You're like, okay. (laughs) So really trying to reconcile that. And then I also had the benefit of being an early CrossFit gym. And so while I was in physio school, I opened the gym, which is, I don't recommend to anyone, but, um, one of the things that happened was that I was seeing, you know, in a day course where I taught, let's say three or four classes on like a weekend or something, mm-hmm. I would have a hundred, I'd see 160 people in three or four hours, right? Maybe five hours. Okay. And if you divide that into number of sessions as a physical therapist, I quickly saw a freakish amount of patterning yeah. in just a data set that was so large. And I think this is really important because I am not a researcher. Those, that's a different, but I am a scientist. Yes. I am a clinician scientist. And my science is test, retest. Here's my yes. hypothesis and I test my hypothesis. So, you know, clinical reasoning is hammered in physio school. It's sort of like a meme. Like, could you yeah. just not talk about clinical reasoning and you know, <laughs> differential diagnosis or, you know, um, and really understanding sort of uh, a way of thinking about understanding process, understanding results, and then suddenly backing out and as a coach, realizing that, boy, we had not interjected. We Position wasn't part of the language mm-hmm. of, I mean, the way you're describing Olympic lifting did not exist 10 years ago. It wasn't, it wasn't part of the language of being able to identify it. The model was lift, 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 break, back off, lift, 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 break. And if you even see what like Chad Vaughn is doing, you know, and, and what we, what I realized early on is we needed, um, I had the benefit of watching a lot of good programming from the master coaches I was getting to work with. So I was learning how to program for GPP, for sports preparation, even sports specific training. I was seeing that Mm -hmm. and that's what we need to see a lot of. And then I realized you know, now what we're, what we're seeing is because the way that like your channel on Instagram, for example, and I know that's your, that's a one, it's one piece of what you do. (laughs) Uh, I don't think people realize, but you give so many examples where people can see it over and over and over again and being able to identify. And that is the magic is the pattern recognition. And so when we started, um, you know, driving consilience, this unification of here's what the body is doing. Here's what you're supposed to be able to do. And the gym is such a good place to do that and make it seem possible mm-hmm. without using correlates. Then it became really easy for me to begin to understand cause and effect, you know, yeah, and also sure. working on both sides of the thing. So, you know, the, if I wasn't seeing such, I mean, Sir Francis Bacon, this is scientific method 101, right? Is it's induction through pattern recognition, which means I see a huge data set and I try to derive first principles and patterns. And that's what you get as a coach. And that's why our coaches and our youth trainers and our, and our, and our personal trainers are the next wave of revolution in yes. trying to resolve common musculoskeletal problems. And I believe they're the first line of defense in terms of environmental considerations of sleep and nutrition and downregulation stress. So, you know, when we used to come to our doctors and say, uh, you know, Hey, I've worn a hole in my knee hurts. And and the doctor's like, you've worn a hole in your knee. You should stop running. You're like, you're the worst doctor ever. (laughs) But meanwhile, you're using your doctor the wrong way. Your doctor's for catastrophe and pathology. Well, Mm -hmm. you actually may be using your physical therapist the wrong way because your physical Mm -hmm. therapist has 30 minutes to give you some low level exercises, right? That physical therapist 
I want to watch them clean and jerk with me next door or swing yes. kettlebells or run. And what we really are going to see is that I think physio has inherited an old medical model because we've tried to plan that field so much. Mm-hmm. And, and the real magic is that, you know, I, I think in order to graduate from PT school now, you should be able to teach Pilates, teach yoga, go through a kettlebell cert, go through a basic Olympic lifting cert, mm-hmm. be able to coach running and maybe no swimming. I mean, r- really, yeah. if you could do all those things, you could talk to everyone at all those levels but that's a real movement rich and it's hard to derive the research out of that. So yeah, here we are, you know, and I think that this coach hybrid model and we're, we're having enough people being able to see what you can see. And then you're helping people develop the same, same eyes that you have. That's how we're going to change things finally. A hundred percent. I'm just thinking back right now to my graduating class, a, a physical therapist and how many of them could do a clean and jerk. You know, it, it's crazy. Oh, kettlebell clean or, or, oh, exactly. dumbbell. or knew what, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, not a crazy. two pound dumbbell, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. But nowadays I'll get so many direct messages or emails from people. They're like, Hey, I'm a power lifter for so many years and I'm going to physical therapy school or I'm a weightlifter or a CrossFitter and I'm in PT school right now. And I'm like, wow, it's crazy to see. I mean, in my class, they, there wasn't anyone else that was currently competing in any, like I was the only competitive weightlifter in my class. No one did CrossFit at the time. Like people went to the gym, but they, you know, they just went to lift and look ish. Exactly. Let's be exactly. honest. Ish. Exactly. You know, and, and so look, I think, you know, one of the things that this, you and I are talking about is there's a lot of subtext here around what does a good strength coach education mean now? A performance coach. You're not just a strength coach. You got to be a performance coach. You're not yeah. talking about, it. you can't manage stress. You don't know how to talk about sleep. If you can't look at volume, if you can't talk about, you know, someone's fight with their boyfriends and how they are, you know, I mean, you've got to be competent to those things. And it's going to take time. Yeah. It's okay that we're saying that this is complex. Yeah. Um, I just read this book. It's called a, a brief history of everyone who ever lived. And it's a, mm. The, the the writer is a guy named Rutherford, and it's about sort of modern genetics and understanding what we what what genetics tells us, mm-hmm. and what it doesn't tell us, like sort of the promises and the lies, right? Mm-hmm. And in there, he makes the point that the brain, human brain is the most complex structure in the known universe, right? And you're like, oh, okay, wow. So mm-hmm. we just thought it would, you know, we could just do three sets of ten, and that would just retrain the brain. Right. Yeah. And then attach that to a really complex psychoemotional animal. Mm-hmm. Right. And with a lot of dysfunction around eating and sleep and stress and training. And what we have is sort of a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. And the, the problem is we don't run this experiment long enough or haven't run this experiment long enough to really understand what the inputs and outputs are. We're guessing still. And so mm-hmm. when I hear people make statements like, you know, there's no, science to support or there's no research to support poor posture and pain i'm like well you can sort of say that because it's difficult to do research on the most complicated human animal structure in the universe i get it but also i don't know where you are in 50 years and if you burst fracture or impinge or have a herniated disc in your neck because you're a runner with crappy posture then then i'm you can't make that statement so what we can say is and i think this is where we can go is we can make decisions predicated on better biomotor output, better physiology, right? Mm -hmm. Pain itself is so complex. And yet, you know, I have a lot of, you know, if we're trying to get really improve the human condition, who talks about pain every day? Well, 
that's the coach in the gym interacting with all their athletes three to five times a week. If people are in pain, they don't get to see a physical therapist. They don't even get to see a doctor. They go see a physical therapist when they, according to Nagy, can't occupy their role in society, right? There's a bone sticking out of their leg, can't snatch, <laughs> can't do muscles anymore. That's why they go see a physical therapist. So what we really are, we're lying to ourselves who's responsible for this dysfunction and the who's responsible for it is the athletes responsible for the mm. person's responsible for and we have completely disenfranchised that person and saying that they're too dumb to try to take a crack at fixing themselves or or it, you know I, I know you only made yourself feel better with that with that rolling device but yeah. that's just in your head in short term we're like well isn't that what Tylenol is isn't that what <laughs> you know rest is I mean yeah. so at some point we need to flip over the tables and, and give those secret recipes out to everyone and really democratize yeah. this. And I feel like this is starting to become an issue of social justice for me that yeah. the second there's a physical therapist injecting herself between you and taking a crack at fixing yourself or, or improving your function or your biomolar output or your, your tissue health or the environmental health of your tissues, boy, that's, that's a red flag for me. That's like a doctor saying, no, you can't, you know, play soccer. Like, whoa, yeah. you know what I mean? That's, that's super weird, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that was what the tagline of, of your book is everyone should have the ability to perform self-maintenance on themselves right there. Well, so our job is to, is to educate and empower others with the knowledge that we can provide them so that they can continue progressing and improving and getting with the life that they want to live. Let me ask you this. Last time I checked, you were over the 700,000 mark on Insta. Is that right? Uh, maybe yeah. you're more, are you, have you hit a million yet? It's, it's close to 900,000 right yeah, now. That's so good. You put out really thoughtful commentary content every day about movement. You, in real time, not correlates, yep. right? Like this has obviously become such a good niche for you and mm -hmm. you're so good at it and people are getting your language. Are you more busy or less busy now? Oh, way more because busy. You, dude, way more what busy, are you talking about? <laughs> Why are we like, this is not a scarcity model, you know, because yeah. people are like, oh, thank you. I took a crack at fixing myself. Now yeah. I, I need some help, right? Yeah. So the differential diagnosis is, <laughs> hey, you, for me, is I'm like, you weren't able to fix this? Great. Now come talk to a doctor professional. But yeah. the number of people that stop me, and this is what's really amazing about, you know, your intro about your podcast, it says mm -hmm. that like, this is about, helping aches and pains, there's no research to support that statement, mm -hmm. or to improve performance, there's no research to support that statement, yeah. comma, mm, only thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people's knees don't hurt, and they set PRs, and they <laughs> keep doing it. And so at some point, we really have to say, what do our movement traditions say? Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's easy to fall into these tropes, you know, um, you know, valgus knee, rounded back, you know, and what we need to say is, hey, you can be in any position you want. It's your body. It's your right. You want to slouch all the time. You don't yeah. want to take a full breath. You want to have, you want to pee yourself on your Olympic lift. Dude, knock yourself out. That is your right. Yeah. You want to go through your labrums and, and challenge your disc. Dude, I, you're right. You can get away with it for a long time until you can't. Mm -hmm. And when you get here and we improve your position and restore your shapes, I don't think that that is just a change in shape so that now it hurts because it doesn't hurt because it's different. Yeah. I think we can have this conversation of saying, hey, look, this is what our movement traditions say about force production. Mm -hmm. This is what forces through the joints say. And so if you want to use a quarter of your knee joint or if you want to use the full knee joint, well, you, one of those is going to be more efficient at generating force. 
yeah. and more sustainable. And, you know, I'll see you on the, on the other end. In the meantime, until you show me a better way mm-hmm. to decentralize, to democratize this process and make what we're doing obsolete, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because yeah. what you're saying is I don't believe you. And I'm saying we have this, you know, we've been doing this for over a decade and we have tens of thousands of users and tens of thousands of locations. This is not hyperbole. You have to show me a better model. And until yeah. you do that, I'm not going to, I'm not going to just say what I do doesn't work because what you're the arrogance in those statements is that people are too dumb to know what makes them feel better and what makes them run faster. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you people are not that dumb. Yeah. I know that like every single time I would share something based on the work of Dr. Stuart McGill in talking about, Hey, we don't want to round our back with movement under heavy load. Like there's a difference between the semi-rounded locked in back that some elite powerlifters use. And then the rounded back that continues to round. And I'm like, word for word from Dr. Stuart McGill's mouth, this is what he's saying. This is what he has spent his years teaching on. And then I get someone that's like, you know, you know, you have no idea what you're talking about. Show me the research or McGill's work is all on pig spines and almost just completely throwing it out. Like there's no such thing as bad technique, basically. Yeah. Well, I, I think what we need to call what this is. So first of all, what we're always saying is, okay, if you keep showing me the fat, stiff powerlifters who actually are locked in kyphosis to start, who actually yeah. can't, can't even achieve extension to the, the back. Mm-hmm. And then are missing positions. And this is the only way they can lift because they don't have full hip flexion. They don't have, they have crap dorsiflexion. This is the only way they can grab the bar. They can't even put their shoes on. So if you're telling <laughs> me a person, and I'm, yeah. this is not hyperbole. I know a lot of powerlifters mm-hmm. who can't put their own shoes on effortlessly. And you're saying that this is our, our model for function and, and proof. What, we're, what I'm calling, starting to call this phenomenon is an end of one me, bro. Did you just end of one me, bro? Where you take a picture off the internet and try to make a, a point out. That's perfect. Se- a second is that one of the ways that we value the robustness of positions, we say, does this hold true across all circumstances? So mm-hmm. yes, turning your feet out is no problem when you squat 100%. Mm-hmm. Need to do it, do it. Hopefully you don't collapse your arch, but can you jump and land with your feet turned out? Are you cutting with your feet turned out? I guarantee you're not setting a world record. And what you're going to see is suddenly that your argument starts to fall apart a little bit. No one is running with their feet like a duck in the hundred. Yeah. So for us, we say, Hey, look, I appreciate where you're coming from around that round. Yes. Round, we need to, I mean, you and I went to the same physio schools and mm-hmm. took the same boards. And I'm pretty sure that in order to clear a spine, we put it under flexion and flexed it. <laughs> yeah. right? That's how you knew it was a normal spine. Right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I put up a video not too long ago. It was like, are we really flexion averse, for example? And the number of flexion movements engaged in, in people is a lot. Like yeah. if you sit on the ground, I, I would argue that probably people are spending 95% of their day in spinal flexion, right? Mm-hmm. So the question is, is that the best way and the most reproducible way? And is that, when do I teach my kids to round? Do I, yeah. does, does technique not matter? Because if technique doesn't matter, why do I teach my kids anything? Just, you'll work it out. Here's the ball. Why did I have a coach, right? It's yeah. all just apologetics. And I think what we need again to say is either, hey, I don't know how to coach it. So it must be okay. Or, you know, does this statement hold true at speed, at load, across pattern? Because what, what all the, when I hear those statements, I'm like, okay, well, what about motor learning? What about repetition? What about, because what, what you're telling me is that, you know, if, if we're going to 
create movement patterns that are robust and transferable, which is why we train in the first place, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't win the gym. I mean, th- yeah. there are some sports that confuses it. Powerlifting, Olympic lifting, sometimes gymnastics, CrossFit confuses why we're in the gym. And this is very unpopular, but pull-ups aren't a great sport, right? They're just not. So it's a great <laughs> way to train, but it's really difficult to have the world championships of pull-ups. Yeah. So what we've lost in there a little bit is why we're training in the first place. Mm-hmm. And if you're telling me that you can take a breath in that position, that you can receive and clean and jerk in that position, what you're seeing, it's a real dead end. Mm-hmm. So what we say is, Hey, you know, we're less concerned about you softening sometimes on a max or deadlift, but you don't have any language of control through your spine, which means that, you know, you're an unskilled mover. And what we've done is created a language of apologetics to strip out the skill out of movement. Now, if you follow Erwan LaCour, if you love Greg Cook, mm-hmm. I do. Both of those gentlemen will say the environment in which the organism raises should teach these things automatically, right? Mm-hmm. Esther Gokhale yeah. here in San Francisco mm-hmm. has a lot of pictures of indigenous farm workers and people planting rice and things, and their backs are ramrod straight mm-hmm. because these. And if you look at people sitting on the ground in India, their backs are ramrod straight. And you know, Philip Beach wrote a great book called uh, Muscles and Meridians which is about the fact that his hypothesis is sitting on the ground is tuning. It reinforces certain shapes, reinforces good mechanics. These are restorative to the Mm -hmm. nervous system, to the body. And so what you're seeing though, is this mismatch of environment and organism as modern humans. And then you're like, it just doesn't matter round away. And I'm like, all right, dude, you are part of the problem. And comma is, is that really what we should be saying? What we should saying is, Hey, you should develop and have a movement practice where you don't fear spinal rounding. Yeah. Because I do hear that people are like, Oh my gosh, I can round my back. I'm like, if you don't round your back, your spine will not be healthy. If yeah. you do not ex- bend and extend your elbow, your elbow is going to suck as an elbow. <laughs> yeah. Right. So if, if you go to a yoga class, you're going to round your spine and unround your spine about a hundred times in the course of a yoga class, almost like someone in some old movement tradition was like, this is important. Right. Yeah. Well, it's funny too, because a lot of people will take some of the work, for example, like Gray Cooks and, and, uh, you know, bring out of it certain things. They only hear certain things that they want to hear, just like McGill's work. And they'll say, oh, he says that all spinal flexion is bad. And he's like sitting back. He's like, that's not what I'm saying at all. Oh, no. <laughs> you just, you know, it, yeah, I think, I think you get to a really good point, which is it's really hard to develop context. Yeah. So, we have a, we, one of the things that we don't, you'll never see us swoop and poop on the internet. We just don't do that. We don't, mm. we don't say things we don't like. We always point positively. This is, we love this. Yeah. These people are killing it. We never say that's dumb. Right. Yeah. And it's not like I don't see dumb stuff. I just don't need to call it out. Right. Yeah. And, and part of the reason is I don't know all the context all the time because I may not have the advantage of really understanding. And so I don't comment on other people's systems because I'm like, unless I have fully vetted through that system, I don't think I understand the nuances. And they were asking me to make a snapshot on someone's thinking around the problem. So what we need to be asking ourselves is what problems are this person trying to solve all the time? And that works if I'm a coach, that works if I'm a physical therapist, that works if I'm, you know what I mean? Trying to understand any one of those people's in those professions. And I think when you... The, the social media makes it worse where we're seeing a lot of what we call blue on blue, which is friendly fire. Yeah. People just taking each other out. Yeah. And it's created recently in something we call the zombie thirst trap. So 
a, a thirsty post on Instagram and someone's thirsty, as you know, is that you're showing your boobs, you're showing your butt, <laughs> you're, your man showing your abs, you're sweaty, you know, and what you're trying to get is that serotonin affirmation. Like, look at how many likes I got. I'm so brave. I'm so, <laughs> so beautiful girl. Mm. And um, so that's a thirst trap. And what I see is a lot of physical therapists and strength coaches sort of reverting back to these old tropes mm-hmm. that they know will get a lot of attention because they somehow feel like they're not getting attention. So Falcus knee, it's okay. You yeah. know, rounded backs, <laughs> totally great technique, you know, and yeah. I mean, just check the box down. And then even physical therapists have like myofascial stimulation, myofascial you know, mobilization is only central nervous system and it's short term and like yeah. check, 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 like dry needling is for, it's for losers, you know, no research. And what we're starting to call those, those are old zombie arguments that literally physically actually people have been having for decades. Why is that trope back? Yeah. And butt wink, good or bad, right? What you're doing is saying, Hey, see this person butt winking. Here's how we're solving that. Not butt wink, good or bad. Yeah. And and what you're seeing then is that's a zombie thirst trap, which is I want people to start to see some of these specious arguments as for what they are as incomplete thinking, snapshot, and just really lazy because it, mm-hmm. they, don't, they lack context and depth and nuance. And remember our hypothesis, human beings are complex. Yeah. And I think, I think the best guides to longevity, to, to positional capacity comes from Olympic lifting comes from, you know, martial arts, comes from yoga and Pilates, some of our oldest positions, people figured some of these things out. And what we need to do is stitch them together into sort of a unified whole. And we're doing a poor job of that. You know, it's just, maybe it's our tribal nature to be like, this is my, my dance space. This is your dance space, my Kung Fu heart style, but it's, it's pathetic. And what I think it's pathetic about it is that we're not actually helping anyone Mm -hmm. and we're not, meanwhile, I mean, Gray said to me once recently, he said, look, if you're not the movement expert in your community, especially as a physio, then someone's going to find another movement expert. Yeah. So he's charged. So if you, if you're feeling like you're being left behind it's because you're not in the gym, in the training place with the traffic, you're not the movement expert. And what I think we've just got to get back to is ultimately how are we changing these and improving these problems? Because it's getting really bad. I just spoke at a high school. You know, I asked the kids, how many of you guys are pain-free? 90%, 95% of kids raised their hand Mm -hmm. in pain, not pain-free. So, you know, you're like, oh, okay. So this, this is a real common human experience. How are we doing? I was just at Fort Bragg at a big uh, health performance um, symposium for the uh, big airborne group all the doctors, all the nurses, all the physical therapists and trainers, pretty progressive. Everyone, all the coaches are in the same room. And I was like, fewer injuries, less musculoskeletal dysfunction. How's back pain going? Like, just go ahead and give yourselves a grade. Winning the war and losing the war. And everyone just laughed because it doesn't matter. At some point, we're doing something that looks like putting band-aids on it and then arguing about it on the internet. And we, yeah. we've got to move past this. Yeah. Well, talking about arguing on the internet, it seems like everyone's trying to create sort of that outlandish comment to just, like you said, draw in how many likes or comments can I get? It's all about, like you said, calling out, is Buttwink a bad thing? No, it's not. But they they don't provide any context to it or support it with either their own practical experience or any evidence at all. Well, and, and I always, I'm like, you know, someone put up, it was, um, uh, 
the usual suspects put up some uh, picture of a guy at the Arnold, right? L- rounding his back, pulling. Yeah. They're like, see? And I was like, and my comment was that guy lost, you know, <laughs> like that guy lost. So you're arguing about seventh place. Dude. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean, like that's I, rem- I remember a Twitter conversation you were having on that because I think someone called out. They're like, "Well, he's not having any back pain," and you were like, "How are you? How is that relevant at all to what's going on right now?" And and how do you even know that? Right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I think that's where it's really so. So, what can we control? You know, when you say it doesn't matter, and then I go into uh, an environment like working with the pararescue because if you make a statement like that again. Not only for me does that have to hold across movement skills, mm-hmm. it also has to tr- prove it has to last the duration of a human being's life. Mm-hmm. So if you're making a statement that has to also hold true when I'm 15, 16, 17, yep. that's a difficult statement to make. And maybe we can't make any statements, right? We can say this is our best understanding. This is how we get into the best shape. Yep. But second, it also has to hold across cohorts. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I'm like, okay, so if, if posture doesn't matter, round my lift. And I'm the worth the para rescue in the Air Force. Those are the tier one military guys who go in and rescue the the the, the badasses behind in the sketchy places. Their number one injury is getting the litter out of the helicopter. Yeah. So so you're saying, oh, okay, it doesn't matter if I'm rested and I'm flexion trained and I'm I'm a power lifter and never put my arms over my head. It doesn't matter. Okay. Or I'm lifting a pencil up or doing yoga. Okay. Does it matter when I'm stressed, wearing body armor, in a wretched position, lifting 300 pounds and having to rotate? Okay, it matters then. All right, so your statement needs to have a whole lot of disclaimers with it or it doesn't hold. Or you're a helicopter pilot. Posture doesn't matter. Okay, it doesn't matter. So if I'm rounded forward, head on neck, and I'm wearing an 11-pound helmet, and I'm subjected to up and down forces for multiple hours when I'm hypohydrated and stressed, mm-hmm. my tissues are trashed, and I herniate or become stenotic and have somebody have bone spurs, and now I can't fly because my hands are numb, <laughs> I'm like, okay, so maybe that statement doesn't hold true because you actually haven't tested it mm-hmm. in as many populations as you think you have. And so I want to make sure that we're, you know, I think we're either going to split and say, you're never going to do something athletic your whole life or movement based. You're just going to elliptical and bicep curl and then <laughs> get out of your chair and never get off the ground. Fine. Yeah. Or you want to have the ability to put your arms over your head on the subway when you're 80, right? Lift up your kids, get up off the ground, not fall. I mean, mm-hmm. we're arguing about, you know, ankle range of motion. Like, so if, if spine flexion doesn't matter, then it shouldn't matter on my feet. It shouldn't run on my knees. And we know that if you have poor ankle range of motion, you're likely to falling and being able to, you know, get the input from your foot, it goes down and you're likely to falling goes through the roof. So what we're talking about is for me is I'm like, what are the, what are you, what is a human being supposed to be able to do? Why can't Mm -hmm. you do that? You know, in this conversation about chronic low back pain, how often does Peter Sullivan or Greg, Greg Lehman or at all, or any of the groups, how often are they talking about, um, hip function. Like, does anyone have any hip range of motion? No one is checking hip extension, hip flexion, or even the rotation of the hip. So you can't even clearly, I mean, it's so easy to be sectioned. Mm-hmm. And I, and again, let's, I, I don't want to soup and poop because those guys are, are trying to unravel the mess where a lot of our medical professionals given people the, the information that they're fragile True. and not anti-fragile. Yeah. right? That they are, that their spines aren't robust and don't heal, right? So I get 
the message, but I'm like, just don't come over here and sell that shit because it's not true. And mm -hmm. I can tell you it's not true because I'm going to go to these populations and say, Hey, let's tackle with your head down. Cause your spinal position doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, Oh, sorry about your neck kid. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and if it doesn't matter in flexion, then it must not matter in extension. So that kid who has a spondy mm -hmm. like that, Oh, I don't know why that happened, but sorry, it happens. Sometimes you just get spondy or yeah. right. So again, how are we having better conversations about, function and output let's mm -hmm. let that be our guide and then we need to give people tons and tons and tons of support to yep. to be able to experience that and practice that and then this no you know um i'm a huge fan of the theragun this is a good example mm -hmm. so i don't use i don't use any modalities right in my treatment Yep. And well, there's a couple asterisks there yep. because what I'm interested in is not that you can come and get a passive treatment from me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if I show up at back pain on your table, like th there's a big bashing of manual therapy right now. It's just very, it's very vogue to bash manual therapy. And I'm like, well, if someone comes with back pain, I don't, I don't push on their back. I might touch their back, talk about where they are. Yep. The first thing we're talking about is breathing, low side of control. Let's get you moving differently, right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your sleep. Like there's a whole lot of things that we're going to package. Me doing some passive treatment on your back, comma, what can you do to make yourself feel better, right? Mm -hmm. So the Theragun, for example, is um, a tool that I would never use on one of my patients or, but I would give it to my patient to make themselves feel better. So what that they could move. Right. Yes. And I think when we get back to why do we have a nervous system in the first place, it is to move through the environment and sense change. And if you're not talking about restoration of movement, mm -hmm. then you're missing the bag here. And, and it turns out it's nice to have access to your normal physio, your normative physiology, mm -hmm. your baseline physiology, your range of motion to do that. So, you know, what we're doing is we need to give people better tools to make themselves feel better. So what they can then go move, you know, the amount of crap Juliet and I took when we put out Dustbound, we took just so much crap from the some of the physio community because <laughs> yeah. we were saying, Hey, look, here's all these correct ways and different ways to sit and, and change your posture and, and be around and use your props. And, and people were like, there's no science, like sitting's not dangerous. I'm like, who said that? But yeah. people aren't moving enough. And now the research is coming out again to actually support the fact that we're supposed to move more. And we have these type one errors between the environment people are finding themselves, what people feel empowered to do, and what we should be doing in terms of our movement language lexicon, right? Mm -hmm. So For sure. how are we going to untangle that? Yeah. Um, so you talked about modalities or at least that you don't use modalities to a great extent with asterisks. There's two modalities. I definitely want to talk to you about today. The first one's ice. Now for the longest time, ice has been ingrained in the physio world. You know, someone comes in, we do your exercises, whatever it is, the physio treatment. And then it's, Hey, let's put a cold pack on your shoulder, you know? And then you get it to the point to where an athlete isn't even in a physical therapy treatment, but they're feeling a little achy after a workout and then they go and put ice on their body. Why is ice good or not good? I guess, what is your thoughts on the use of ice? Well, it's, so it's a good one. And it's one that, remember, we were trained in, right? Yeah. That this is, this is what we do. And mm -hmm. first and foremost, um, I am totally anti-warm margarita. So if you're drinking a warm margarita, you need to get <laughs> ice and put that in the margarita. Second. I agree with that. <laughs> if, you're having, if you're having open heart surgery, Someone needs to pack your ice, your heart in ice to slow its metabolic rate. Okay, yeah. so 
100%. Those are two great situations. There's some good uses for it. Absolutely. Um, I have a, chi- a hysterical child who's just banged her head. Mm-hmm. And I give her a bag of ice that she holds on there for one minute and then gets distracted. Mm-hmm. Great use of ice. Yeah. Comma. <laughs> you know, what we really are saying is, okay, well, what problem are you trying to solve? I'm in pain. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why, what, what's causing the pain that you're trying to manage with this ice? And the, the question people say is, oh, I have inflammation or mm-hmm. I have swelling. I'm trying to manage my swelling. Okay. Okay. That's, that's reasonable. You have swelling that you're trying to manage. So what you're doing is you have a flooded car and you're turning the car off, right? So your, your R is that application of cold. Is that in fact, removing swelling from the area? And the answer is no. In fact, the research is that when you ice a lymphatic tissue, which is how your body is dealing with all that congestion and swelling, serosanguinous exudate, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. um, your body then um, loses neural connection to those smooth muscles in that vasculature, Mm -hmm. in that lymphatic, and it becomes porous and you recongest. So you're actually making the problem worse. Forget the fact that you're suppressing prostaglandin release and stopping the inflammatory cascade. Mm-hmm. So not only are you congesting, but one of the things that you're recongesting is that your macrophages have come in and gobbled up all that stuff and started that normal inflammatory process. Yeah. And then they go back into the, cell, the, the surrounding tissues and your body mounts a secondary inflammatory response on that tissue because it's like, holy crap. So now you have the secondary inflammatory response. What we need to ask ourselves is, is the inflammatory response of your body a mistake? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Is it a mistake? Well, I think it's sometimes very dramatic, but is it a mistake? I don't know. We're still on the planet. So, you know, human beings are really good at two things only. We are really good at starving. We can starve (laughs) like, like it's our job and we can not starve other animals and we can reproduce. Mm -hmm. And somehow we ask people, okay, well, if you're into icing, do you think, you know, do discs ever not heal? No, discs heal. Okay, okay. So did you ice your disc? How long has ice been around? And when you start asking, and, you know, icing only pops up in literature in like the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. It, doesn't even, it doesn't even get there. The Chinese say you only ice dead things. And what you'll see is that this hasn't been a part of our language. Mm-hmm. And if we look at the mechanism for one is, do you want to shut down your body's response to the swelling? Mm-hmm. And our response is no. What you want to do is manage the congestion. Well, how do we manage congestion? What's rule number one? How do we move? Yeah. And so if the way the mechanism of lymphatics are draining a congested tissue is through muscle contraction, because it's a passive system, mm-hmm. then I either have elevation or I have muscle contraction. And muscle contraction seems to do a really good job of decongesting tissues. Ice doesn't seem to do a very good job. There was a really good study that came out of Australia because ice and ibuprofen on soft tissue injuries have a similar effect, right? It basically cuts this, this, the signal to all the circulating stem cells, all the, okay. all the, the, the humerus tissues that are going to come and repair. Yeah. And what they saw was that they gave these uh, soldiers in Australia massive doses of ibuprofen. And they were back in the field on average, like six or seven days sooner after a really significant ankle sprain than the coach who didn't. But yeah. everyone who took ibuprofen had chronic ankle instability for the rest of their life. Interesting. So they missed that healing window. And then what ended up happening? They had chronic instability around the ankle because that ATF yeah. didn't heal had incomplete healing because they suppressed the healing. So 
Yeah. What we want to be sure of is, well, what, what's the mechanism here? And I'm not like, we're not talking about all pain meds because there are pain conditions that are really well controlled with Tylenol, mm-hmm. really well controlled with ibuprofen around chronic pain. That's a great tool, but that's not an acute inflammatory response. Yeah. And it's interesting if you look at the trephanine, if you look at PRP, if you look at some of these interventions, they're actually going back and restarting inflammation by injecting and disrupting or irritating the the tendon cross friction. Yeah. So you have to be asking, well, am I icing or am I decongesting? And am I trying to start inflammation to stop it and take it? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. How do we manage decongestion? And I'm going to, th- I'm going to talk about my wife um, right now. So Julia had breast cancer mm-hmm. in January. She had a double mastectomy, a serious surgery, mm-hmm. and she had drains and her drains they were like, you can count on having this first round drain for about 10 to 14 days. Mm-hmm. And Julia and I were like, Oh, hell no. And what we did was we used a device called the Mark Pro off-label, but we used it to pump, to create a muscle contraction in her delts and her pec minor, Mm -hmm. right? Nothing pulling on any tissue, but but just getting enough movement, her drains were bone dry in three days. That's crazy. Crazy, right? And um, when we look at hip arthroplasties, when someone has an ACL reconstruction and we use some kind of tool to decongest for us. I love the Mark pro. I work with this company. They're working chronic pain. It's been transformational. Mm-hmm. We feel like if you have swelling in 12 hours, you're behind our timeline of what's possible. Wow. So people go in and one of the things that's happening now is we're not because the joint isn't swollen. We're able to decongest it, keep mm-hmm. the neural muscular, the neuromuscular connection keep our quad mass and we don't have to fight for extension lag. We don't have to reconnect the brain. The brain is already connected back in. And because we don't have any swelling, mm-hmm. we oftentimes have zero pain. So we're off the opiates earlier. Juliet yeah. on her first surgery took one Vicodin after double mastectomy. One. Wow. And I agree that she's a freak anyway. Her pain <laughs> the roof. But because she one was the tissues were moving. She wasn't a fear. We didn't see adherence. Uh, we didn't see formation of seroma. The sliding surfaces didn't become adhered. Yeah. Right? There's constant motion and she's decongested. And so guess she, she doesn't have any pain. So that's on a injury model. So what we wanted to say to people is, hey, we don't think icing is the best, most effective. In fact, if you want to be slower yeah. and stay injured longer, then by all means, go ahead and ice. Okay. There's zero research to support it. In fact, all yeah. the research supports that makes it worse. Then we can flip that around and say, are these devices effective at having athletes decongest mm-hmm. after post-maximal training loads? Because what we're realizing is we can actually over-program for our athletes now and have them catch up. Yeah, And that means that our pitch counts are higher in the Major League Baseball. That means that our athletes are able to run faster and decongest their tissues and, and show up with legs that are ready to go in the Tour de France. How yeah. do I know? Because we test them in the, you know, <laughs> For us, something isn't true unless we have run it through the ringers of our children and all the way up at our elite tactical athletes. So, yeah. you know, do I believe in modalities? Well, I'm like, I think your body should move. Sometimes it's difficult to do that. So I guess movement is a modality. I'll call yeah. it a modality. <laughs> well, I just know with the Mark Pro, I know we've been using it on JP Price with his hip labrum repair, and he's loved it. And then also, obviously, Travis Mash, another person, he's in love with it. You know, he posts all about it all the time as far as how it was able to help him post total hip replacement get back. I mean, he was squatting, what, 160 kilos a couple weeks after total hip replacement. Like, that's crazy. He's a madman. Um, 
what I'll say is first principles first. So one of the things that I think is sometimes lost in this conversation of what works and what doesn't work is, can we improve the environment? Is there something we can do to make the ecosystem more efficient, right? And, you know, when we, when we talk about like epicondylitis, right? Mm -hmm. So we have elbow pain, right? Mm -hmm. Tennis elbow, golfer's elbow. Oftentimes what you're seeing is that these these limbs are at the end of a gravity well. And then, and if we're not, you just, it's difficult to get enough movement. I mean, if you have surgery, they give you that little ball and they're like, pump that little ball. <laughs> like, what is that about? Well, that's about muscle contraction, decongest the joint. That's what that's about. Yeah. So I can either squeeze this ball for the next 20 hours, or I can get a whole limb contraction. Mm-hmm. That's non fatiguing. Yeah. Comfortable. Doesn't irritate my tissues. And I can decongest 24 seven. So, you know, what, what Travis experienced was, Hey, he was able to load and then a post-surgical tissue remodeling itself. There's naturally going to be sort of an overreaction as we load. And that's, that's one of the things that, uh, one of the reasons we want you to see a physio after injury is that we are going to help you manage this two steps forward, quarter step back. You're going to mm-hmm. swell a little bit. We're going to decongest and keep pushing. And that's a normal part of this, this process around sort of injury management. And currently our model is let's just wait a really long time and hope that the tissues are good to go. And what I'll tell you is that we end up seeing stuff that is so old and cold that we've lo- that's adhered. It doesn't move well. It's decongested. It's stiff. It feels like Franken tissues. Mm-hmm. You know, you push on someone's shin, you know, two weeks after ACL. And if I can leave a, a, a one centimeter pitting edema divot, I'm like, dude, you're, you're behind. What do you think is going on with the health of your Achilles here? Yeah. So, you know, what we're, we want to do a couple of things. One is that we realize that as modern maniac athletes, we sometimes overdo it. So <laughs> high frequency is nice to give someone some pain relief when they've done it. Right. Mm-hmm. That doesn't involve THC. That doesn't involve opiates. It doesn't involve. Right. Second though, is that when we can decongest the tissue, like getting the muscles to contract. And then we were like, dude, throw on some, some compression over that, mm-hmm. right? Like this is our triple threat. Okay. So people don't realize that Normatech, which I love, mm-hmm. right? we have the Normatech at the house and we have, a, we have a, pair of, a couple pairs of boots at the gym to be able to jump in. But Normatech's patent is on blood flow restriction. People mm-hmm. don't realize that that's their occlusion. And then when that thing locks off up top and your heart rate spikes in that top chamber and then yeah. it releases, you're getting some, some occlusal effects, right? Mm-hmm. But we put Mark Pro with some compression in the compression boots. And now, man, I'm like, your legs look so good. And they're (laughs) going to be, you're going to look jacked and tan and not puffy. I mean, you're going to have to eat so much salt to get your bloat back on. Yeah. But the idea here is, you know, how, if one of the things that I think is the best examples of good thinking is that there's a a tier one military group in the army that you've heard of, Mm-hmm. And when they have really complex sleep problems with their guys and girls, the first thing they do is prescribe walking. Mm-hmm. So now they're saying, Hey, you need to get 10,000 steps a day. Yeah. And that 10,000 steps a day turns out to be really a rough guideline. Some means eight, some means 14, some runs 20, but it's about decongesting tissue. So Dr. Andy Weil was like, that's the cross pattern motion. I'm like, mm, I don't think so. I think you're just moving your body. And, and yeah. that's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing is when they were, prescribing this for sleep, they're getting guys to accumulate enough non-exercise activity to accumulate fatigue so they'd actually go to sleep, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we want to do that too. How do I get you to move in a way that you're constantly moving? 
And remember, the, the like first principles first, mechanotransduction means that if you're going to have a, a tendon line up, you need to be putting load into the tendon a lot. And if you're afraid to move, that's a problem. So how do we move in a safe way that doesn't disrupt your, your injuries, right? That doesn't pull out an anchor. Well, I'm not a small, small submaximal isometric contraction. That's a good way to do that, right? Yeah. And once you start to think of it in those terms, you're like, oh, it's so obvious. I kind of feel dumb. Yeah. I mean, I just know at the place that I work, Bruce Physical Therapy and Sports Performance out here in uh, Kansas City. And I know you know Exos, correct? So Exos just acquired Boost Physical Therapy in November. So I'm now part of the Exos team. So uh, uh, so good. Know, I mean, we see Exos, so many, Yeah, Exos has, they set the record earliest for distance between treatment table and squat rack. Their treatment table <laughs> to squat rack distance is so, in fact, as you know, like we're going to re- reform physical therapy. Why do our physical therapy offices look like physical therapy offices? Why don't they look like gyms? Because if we're all yes. about the movement, a hung floor where I can't even put my arms in my head and jump. Yeah. Carpet. What sports are played on carpet again? Oh, that's not. That's <laughs> no. not. I, I remember when I was going through school and like, you know, you get on, you interview at a few places and I walk into a place where like, yeah, we're sports physical therapy. I'm like, where? Like, <laughs> I, I see a jersey on the wall, but this is a carpeted room and there's not a barbell in sight. I don't see any turf. I don't see a hurdle. Like, where are you doing sports physical therapy at? You know? Yeah. And you know, um, what's so great about this integrative model of really trying to say, where should we be delivering this in our movement our movement heavy places? I think we've got to, um, you know, in that conference last weekend, uh, a woman said, uh, she raised her hand and said, Hey, if I have an athlete who's met all of the metrics for return to play, return to mm-hmm. sport, status post ACL injury, but she still doesn't have the confidence to return to sport, how do we manage that? And I was like, well, this is going to be very unpopular, but that's a failed rehab outcome. And how do I know it's a failed rehab outcome? Because my athlete doesn't believe that she's ready to return to sport. Mm-hmm. So you have not systematically created an environment. And again, let me just say again, is 30-minute session twice a week the place to do that? Is that the place? And if you're handing off to a PTA who's doing some low-level chair scoots for ACL rehab, you know, that may get my mom's ACL functional, but that (laughs) is not enough to return an athlete to sport. And so you haven't dosed that athlete sufficiently with enough variety of safe control, movement, metabolic load, physical load, speed load, where she's like, I'm ready to go. I know this leg is ready to go. So if your athletes, I'm like, dude, that's fail rehab. And we have some issues around even reporting what is, what works and what doesn't work in our field. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I just had a volleyball athlete come to me the other day. She had been at another physical therapy practice for a while. And she's like, I just don't feel like I'm ready to go back to, oh. the, to sport. And I asked, I was like, well, what have you been doing? And I was like, you know, show me a single leg squat as part of our you know, evaluation. She's like a single leg squat. I was like, have you guys done anything? And this is post-op uh, MPFL reconstruction. So knee surgery, 12 weeks out, should be doing some squatting. She's like, I haven't done any single leg squatting. I was like, that's where we got to start. Like we got to build the foundation. I was like, how are we supposed to jump and land and not tear our ACL? If you can't do a perfect, just a good quality squat first, which brings me back to my first point that I wanted to touch on years ago, mobility one episode one on YouTube. It all started with the squat. Tell me what was going on through your mind when you were like, Hey, this is what I want to start. And this is going to be my first episode. Like what was sort of going on at that time? Well, first of all, you can see that I wasn't very good on camera. And, 
I hadn't, you know, had only made a few thousand videos, not tens of thousands. So I apologize for filming my crotch for three years, <laughs> right? So that's first. Second, um, you know, uh, the second thing I would say is um, when I started the conversation around positional competency, mm-hmm. it's the idea that in athletics, the squat is our foundational movement above all other movements. That is the movement, a bilateral absorbing a force, jumping. This is the thing. And what I saw was that people couldn't squat all the way down mm-hmm. and they certainly couldn't spend 10 minutes. So the very first challenge was, hey, if this is a position that you value in your athletics and you're really struggling to get to depth or receive or or not miss, then let's at least begin this conversation, not with some magic exercise or mobilization or some special technique or device. Let's get you spending time in the position that you care about. So no wonder hanging really works for people like Udo Portal, et cetera. Mm -hmm. These hanging drills are great. Why? Because... The arms are overhead a lot <laughs> and your yeah. tissues will get better at handling that, you know? And, and so what we wanted to do is just begin this first conversation in a simple way. And it was shocking how people could not squat. And now we've got GMB doing a great job. I love their programming. Mm-hmm. You've got all this groundwork. The kids at the barefoot collector are killing it, right? You're seeing people say, Hey, look, we should be comfortable moving on the ground. Right. We, you know, move Nat or one of the core has been talking about this forever. And the key for me is I'm like, this isn't fitness. This is just humanship. So if we're going, you don't even have the raw building blocks to receive a power clean, you know, and again, my, my sensei, Mike Bergner, this Olympic lifter, old school Olympic lifter coach, mm-hmm. was like, you know, a full clean is just a missed power clean. And I was like, well, if I can't squat all the way down, what if I can't full clean, right? And, and that was why we were seeing all these issues. So first order of business is to change the environment or at least expose the person in a systematic way to getting on the ground. So yesterday I had a, the whole specialized bike fit team come in. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things we did, we have a whole bike fitting geometry geniuses mm-hmm. who are masters of fitting the bikes to really dysfunctional bodies is in our classes is all right, we're going to just mobilize and get prepped on the ground, just our ground play, just spending time at end range. And not one of these kids could get on the ground. And they were like, whoa. And I was like, whoa, like, what do you mean? You can't, you know, number one reason people end up in nursing homes can't get up off the ground. Right. And yeah. I wonder why we don't see lumbar disease and hip disease in cultures that toilet on the ground and sleep on the ground. I wonder why, fall risk and the elderly that sleep on the ground is zero. They don't fall. Yep. So, wow. You're like, Oh, you mean the Turkish getup is really important. <laughs> Chaturanga and yoga where I go from the ground to up is really important. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so what you'll, you see is that because I think you and I have the advantage of going through physio school, you had a significant movement practice. You're the only weightlifter in your class. Mm-hmm. You can either Olympic lifting is the the most demanding sports there is. You can either do it or you can't do it. Mm-hmm. And Every single person I know can hang or, or muscle snatch a dumbbell. I mean, like, what do you mean you can't muscle snatch a five-pound dumbbell? Like, my mom can muscle snatch a five-pound dumbbell, <laughs> right? Yeah. So what we're seeing is that those roots, I think Olympic lifting taught me more about what humans should be able to do and how they should be able to do it better than any other movement practice. Yeah. And the squat just turned out to be this fundamental piece. And I was like, we're arguing about foot position, but you can't even take a poop in the woods or have dinner in Thailand or build a campfire. So what the hell are we talking about? Right. Yeah. And I remember the day when I was holding Norkin and white open the physical therapy range of motion book. And I was like, 
wait a minute, why am I assessing dorsiflexion when I could have someone squat down? No one had ever said that to me in physical therapy school, Mm -hmm. that a two foot together squat was a same clear test for dorsiflexion for basic range of motion. And I, again, you know, we have the benefit now because we're in these rich movement environments. So Mm -hmm. what we thought was, hey, let's not make it fancy. Let's start with basics, hip flexion, moving yourself to the ground. Let's start there. And the way to improve that is to begin to play and noodle on it. And really time under tension matters. It really does. Yeah. You, you talk about the, you know, the amount of dorsiflexion in school, obviously we're taught, Hey, put your foot up in an open chain position. And then, you know, do you have 10, maybe 15 degrees of, of dorsiflexion every single year I go to and uh, teach at the university of Missouri PT class. And I'm like, when are you ever in that position? Unless you're a swimmer, like, when are you ever doing that? Like you need to be able to use your range of motion. I was like, everyone stand up, squat all the way down. Can you sit down there for a minute? And I, like half the class is like falling over. Now, every year progressively, it's gotten better to where there's a few more people that can like, constantly sit down there. And I'm like, you've been watching some stuff. Out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they came to school already prepped. <laughs> exactly. You know, we want to take it to the next level. So we say, well, let me just stitch this up. Okay. Great cook is like, if you can't breathe in a position, don't own a position. Like, I'm like, oh, that smells like Iangar, right? That yeah. sounds like nervous system control. Yeah. That sounds like the root of PNF, big breath, contract, relax. So check this out. I'm like, get into, take a, get into laying position, take a huge breath. I want you to be able to maintain 90% of that in your squat. What do you mean you can't pressurize in the bottom position of squat? You mean you're going to have to lift this, your crappy rounded back. Mm-hmm. doesn't allow you to take a full breath. You're missing hip flexion. You're compensated shit position. <laughs> now you can't pressurize. And I'm like, I wonder why you got injured, right? So what yeah. you're seeing is, again, you can be in these positions. And as long as you're comfortable with losing your base physiology, don't cry to me when you suck or don't cry when we get injured. Mm-hmm. If no one ever said it wasn't, was important, then shame on us. Yeah. And that's where we've got to say is that at some point, I mean, I'm ready for the person to come in who's crossed everything off the list. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what it is, yeah. right? But that hasn't happened and will never happen. Or for someone to know every assessment I'm going to do because, you know, they're Olympic lifting gymnast sprinter. And they're like, nailed it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, it's not 100 kilos, but I mean, is that good? You know, and you're like, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, the, the key here is we need to do a better job of transferring what we know are correlates for movement into the actual movements that people use. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure that our movement practices, and even if our movement practice is weightlifting, that we're at least touching these shapes and corners regularly. They're going to want to cool down or play a restoration. Like you just have to noodle on it. Yeah. And unfortunately, if, if use it or lose it is, is the case, we know it's the case, then you've got to keep noodle on these positions. And I had a, uh, a pediatric orth- a pediatric physical therapy instructor who was head of, head of uh, pediatrics at UCSF, and she was like, Um, muscles and tissues are like obedient dogs. And that may be the most important thing I ever heard. Interesting. Because I was like, she's like, you just, and they would have kids with these contraction, right? Mm -hmm. um, Stiffnesses. And they would cast there and they would cast them in end range and then take them out, move around and cast them in end range. And in two weeks, they had full range of motion back. It's like, the body was like, well, let's build some more hamstring. Crazy. Let's build some more muscle. And what we're we're doing now is we're starting to tie the the knots together. So for example, example, new research out of data says that post-exercise, post-loading, the first uh-huh. thing your body does is doesn't make more muscle. It makes new muscle container. It builds mm-hmm. all of the network to withstand the new loading. 
So the first thing it does is it builds better connective tissue. That's the first gene that's activated. Mm-hmm. And so if that's how your body thinks, first thing it does is it says, oh, we've got to lay this down. And then you don't move and don't eat right. And you're eating this steamy <laughs> chicken breast, broccoli, brown rice diet. I'm like, dude, there's no, there's no connective tissue in there. Like, what yeah. are we doing? Right. So, That's awesome. you know, it's difficult for us to put first, 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 first. Mm-hmm. It's also difficult for us to say, this is going to take a long time and that's okay. And yeah. You know, it's not an accident. I work obsessively with my kids on creating an environment where I don't have to teach this. They just do it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to, I'm afraid at some point we have to lop off our generations and be like, we can get better, but it's too late for you. It's not too late for your children, you know? <laughs> yeah. Now you talk about obviously creating certain shapes and a big part of creating a good looking squat pattern is having those feet that are roughly straightforward, right? That five to seven degree toe out angle. And you hear a lot of people that are like, no, they need to be 30 degrees out, out to the side. Obviously going into an easier position for most people into a little bit more external rotation. Obviously to squat with your feet a little bit more straightforward, we need great ankle mobility. We need a good amount of internal rotation in the hip. I think something that's not really talked about a lot. What are some of your uh, best ideas as far as how do we incorporate sort of better hip mobility into that position, into internal rotation? Because I know I preach yeah. for sure a lot on ankle mobility, but I think hip internal rotation. Yeah, yeah, you, this you, is something that we're talked about. You know about no, a lot. we. I think you talk about it, and I obsess on it. And yeah. uh, but it's not it's not part of the language, right? Yeah. And and you've got to have full hip flexion. So yeah, what you're true. thinking is what we're trying to do is develop a better language of understanding compensation. So what do you mean you can't squat with your feet all the way down? So let me ask you this, you know, because this, if that's the position, I can test your hip function and you've seen me do the, the collapse your knees test. Yep. So, you know, for those people at home, have someone squat with their feet straight as deep as they want to squat their most powerful position mm-hmm. and then try to pull their legs together. And you'll see that the hip is so strong, mm-hmm. turn them out to 20 or 30 degrees and you will just cave them like a deck of cards every single time. Yeah. And so what, what, and a lot of times I think when we're seeing what we think is weak glutes, right? Weak, weak hip glute need. Mm-hmm. What we're really seeing is what I think is positional inhibition. We've got feet turned out. And the hip just doesn't work in that length tension relationship very well. It just gets yeah. shut down. And so, look, if you test this, stand tall with your feet straight, screw your hips in the ground and try to render the floor apart, and then just keep working your way out. And you're going to see at some point, you're like, Meh. there's no rotation strength there. Yeah. And what you'll see is that when people's knees come crashing in, they've lost congruence and stability in the ankle, mm-hmm. right? They can't generate that isometric in the hip through that full range. And it's interesting that people always do monster walks with their feet straight. Mm-hmm. Weird. <laughs> exactly. They yeah. they, why are you training a different shape than your squat shape? That's weird. They'll, huh? also, see, they'll <laughs> also stay, they only do monster walks in one plane. <laughs> My strongest athletic position, which is a power receiving position. I'm like, take yeah. that monster walk all the way down <laughs> and take that with your feet out and your squat position. Look how weak you are. And you're going to be like, Oh, you'll self-correct. So mm-hmm. I think what you're seeing is, that hey, you've got a full flexion. You've got to have some interrotation. You've got to have reasonable a- access. Yeah. But squatting hip grease below parallel is not full function of the hip. Mm-hmm. That's mid range. That's really generous. Mm-hmm. So being able to squat hip crease below knee with your feet straight isn't receiving a hundred being stapled under three hundred pounds in the bottom position to clean with your feet straight. True. Like holy crap! Like we're actually arguing about we've got a standard deviation and a half on either side of that domain. Like, what do you mean you can't even do that? Mm-hmm. And so, so what gets me up is another zombie thirst trap where people are like, 
I'm a special snowflake. I'm like, oh, I know you're special. <laughs> not for the reasons you think. And so people will always show that picture of that introverted, retroverted hip. Yes. And it's, it's such a good one. They pull it out and they're like, see, look at all the variations in the hip. And what mm-hmm. they never show you, and I want people to start asking this. If you listen to this and you see that pic, say, mm-hmm. hey, can you show me the pelvis that goes with that femur? Mm-hmm. Because that matters. Yeah. Can you show me the knee of that femur? Because that matters. Because if you're showing me a snapshot of the hip, you're not showing me what's happened. Can you show me also the tibia? Because I guarantee you that thing has unwound. It's twisted. And so what you're seeing is some strange pathology of the hip. And look, clearly, when people come in with that excuse, I'm like, lay down. And if I can't recreate a bony block feel, Mm -hmm. and and then I can actually mobilize them into those positions, Mm -hmm. I'm like, so what was your your excuse again? What you'll see is that people have no interpretation. In fact, one of the things that we teach in all our courses is that you should have about a 70 to 90 degree hip rotation in them. Mm-hmm. So if you lay down on your back and someone just spins your femur in and out, the range of motion in the books is 45 degrees of internal rotation. Crazy. That's insane. Yeah. If you have 10 or 15, we're going to the Olympics. <laughs> Normal is 45. So we'll say we say 30, 45, and then 45 of, of extra rotation. So femur goes straight up and down and you rotate back and forth. People who are saying they have special snowflake, have to turn my hip out, have zero have yeah. negative they don't have any in rotation so it's such a deficit so now you can see you're like oh i i get what the kids at frc are doing with their ground right. working on this 90 shape you know they have they've identified that and uh you know dr spina i think really is right to say we've got to program this back in and that 90 is such an old sambo every martial mm-hmm. arts drill on the planet but for me the problem is i'm actually not weight bearing it doesn't reflect or look like squatting. It doesn't have the motor control. And you're just jamming that thing in range. Look at people's pelvises, their back. There's a lot of compensation there. Yeah. The thinking is, yeah, we need a noodle on this obsessively every day. Mm-hmm. And that's why one of the first mobilizations we ever talked about was the hip capsule mode, where yep. you're basically, we're trying to reproduce that. I'm not saying our mode is better. I'm saying that, hey, what are the ways to look at this internal rotation? Because one of the things that we should be doing is, as soon as you say, I've got to turn my foot out 30 degrees, I'm like, okay, so if I cut and jump and land, am I going to be in a strong position? The answer is no. Mm-hmm. And if I'm training something to squat wide, but I dunk straight, I'm going to have a brain that's confused. And my brain will always default to my most trained position. So practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. So if I turn my feet out when I kettlebell swing, when I hang clean, like there's a lot of reasons to, to not turn your feet out. We do a 27 squat foot drill, right? Mm-hmm. That's predicated on one of our athletes, or one of our coaches, Yami Tikkanen. Mm-hmm. And we want the hip to have the language of being able to move in all these positions. So we squat with the feet out 30 degrees and we're like, squat as deep as you can <laughs> and don't collapse your arch. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that goes along with that foot turnout position is a complete collapse of the foot. Mm-hmm. So if you, if, I, if you have to turn your feet out 30 degrees and I'm going to say, take your shoes off and let me see your feet. And if you're arguing about that foot out position being primal, the primacy of that position, and you've destroyed your arch and your navicular bones on the ground, and there's a whole mechanical car accident happening up and kind of like, mm, that's not great. Yeah. Right. So, and if you take a step out of that position is if you run and your foot is in 30 degrees behind you, or you're in a rad shape, the yeah. answer is no. Mm-hmm. So, I think you're right. And eventually we want to get it. So everyone is like, what's my internal rotation? I know. And it's a changing target because sometimes mm-hmm. I'm stiff and tired. Yeah. Right. Do, and, and that's why we've got to have this be part of the movement language. So, you know, I think when we started this real conversation, John Wellborn was on it too. Um, 
you know, it was really unpopular because people were like, what do you mean? You know? And I was like, dude, I think, uh, I think you got to do this. And what we see is suddenly that I have a whole gym full of 500 people who all could squat with their feet very straight. So what what the hell are we talking about? It turns out (laughs) if we value it, it gets valued. And it doesn't mean we don't squat. What we do is we don't squat in compensated positions. So I can absolutely turn my feet out as far as I need to get to full depth, Mm -hmm. but I don't collapse my arches. And if you can't squat in that position, I'm going to have you squat you high. Because what I don't want to do is reinforce compensation positions. And a foot turned out can be compensation. But the other thing that tells me is that's data and I don't leave you maroon there for the rest of your life, right? Well, it also points to being able to look at the entire body and understanding we're not just looking at the knee. We're looking at the foot. We're looking at the back. And everything has to fit in this ideal structure that we're looking for, that ideal pattern. Yeah. And you know, what you'll see is that, you know, those short shoes that everyone's wearing, that anterior pelvic tilt, that anterior pelvic tilt goes right along with femur turned out, as you know, mm-hmm. and that's the body trying to create stability through that hip socket, right? Yeah. It just slams the hip forward. And one of the reasons, one of the ways that we get people out of peeing themselves when we see bladder dysfunction and pelvic floor dysfunction yeah. is that we get the feet straight which re- re- reintegrates pel- endopelvic fascia mm-hmm. with the hip function. So we can't talk about your pelvic floor without also talking about what your hips are doing, right? Yep. And so, you know, if you, if you look at the lower body, the, the, the limbs have chirality. They're, they're, they're built for rotation. And this is why walking on your hands is so difficult. Your arms are not built for the rotation that your legs are. Mm-hmm. Your legs have this built-in rotational component to the musculature, to the fascia. If you lay on your ground, on your back, while you're suntanning, your feet splay out because mm-hmm. your body is unwinding that, that tension. So even when you stand with your feet straight and balanced, you're actually automatically creating passive ER passive extra rotation through that hip system, which makes the pelvis more stable, which makes the lumbar pelvis more stable, which makes it, right, check the boxes that apply. So, you know, what really, what this is, is a really great conversation about one of the things I appreciate about what you're doing so much and that you're, if I go into your feet, I want people to listen, who are listening to go back and appreciate that you're doing something we call sports preparation. Mm -hmm. And sports preparation mean here are patterns and positions. Here are shapes that transfer to any other sport on the planet, right? That if I go into sports specialization, sports specific training, sports specific training, the goal of sports specific training is to make you a better soccer player, not to make you better in the gym or a better baseball player, a better swimmer. And the only outcome is, did you win swimming? Yes or no. So I'll, I'll shave off. So my athletes don't have full range of motion. We are always training, but that's sports specific training. Sports preparation training is about recovery of full range of motion, about managing uh, motor control and motor learning and movement learning that transfers to all these high level skills. On the other side of that, we have what we call GPP. Mm-hmm. So GPP, general physical preparedness means I'm looking at metabolic pathways. I'm starting to add these other movements, but GPP is really good fitness. It's not sports specific training or sports preparation. Sure. On the other side of GPP, right? You've got what we call fitnessing. So Zumba, Soul Cycle, Barry's Boot Camp, work your ass off. Fitness rules, even CrossFit is GPP, it's fitnessing. And if your goal is to become fitter, to protect your heart health and not transfer what you're doing in the gym to real life, knock yourself out with GPP. If you want to take your GPP and start to twist it into sports preparation training, 
And this is where we really, this not this notion of what, what are we doing? I train people to be robust and stable and to learn new skills and acquire new skills more quickly. And that's why we adjust the feet of our, of our elite snowboarders, our elite surfers. We put their feet. I changed Laird Hamilton's stance on the board. Like, yeah. well, you would never change. Only, yeah, his hips are more stable now, right? Mm-hmm. I just moved his back foot in a little bit so he can create more rotation. So the idea here is you and I are talking around this conversation. Of, oh, you just want to get fit and you don't care? Mm-hmm. Fine. And by the way, here's my physical therapy office number because you can't, <laughs> at some point you'll become an intermediate advanced athlete and you're going to get some overuse injury in this compensated position. Yeah. But if you suddenly just make it a little more sophisticated and care about range of motion, you care about transference of position, you care about developing capacities that transfer, then what you're going to see is, oh, that smells a lot like Olympic lifting, not fitnessing, right? If I want a fitness, it's really hard to see what's going on with cable crossovers, right? I'm not saying that I can't do cable crossovers as part of my sports preparation, but do not confuse the two. And I think it's really important that that's where we're having our conversation and turn your feet up, collapse your arches down, do this, a free country. You want to eat little chocolate donuts and smoke cigarettes and, and get high and lift, dude, let's do it. (laughs) <laughs> but do not pretend that that is a better position that transfers or protects you from injury because it doesn't. Yes, 100% agree. All right, so last question I got to ask. Obviously, you've been a physical therapist and a coach for quite some time now. And I want to know, what are some things that you do now that are different than when you first started? Like, what have been things that have been of huge impact in your career and the way in which you teach <laughs> athletes now? Um, you know... Uh, I just caught him. I'm on my wife's computer. We're down to 1%. I just plugged it back in. Okay, perfect. That's a 1%. I hope, I hope we don't that black out close. here. That was close. Let me just say, if we give blackout, I'm so grateful to, and I'm so stoked to talk and you're, I'm just keep it up. What you're doing is great. Um, so much, you know, I care even more about basics. Like my, my, the, this, the simplicity of basics has become even more, uh, solid. Um, I care that my, we're looking a lot more at breathing than we ever did before. That turned out to be just the work of Brian McKenzie and, um, and his art of breath has, and, and I came it through Wim Hof like everyone else, but we just didn't realize how important this was. Mm-hmm. I went back to the notes I was giving out 10 years ago and I was talking about parasympathetic shift with breathing, but I just, we didn't know. So breathing goes through everything you do. And if you go onto our site and watch how we mobilize, we're talking about breathing all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. We're talking about breathing in our positions. Um, I miss that a lot. Okay. I miss that there was the simplicity There's a, a, of integrating those breathing practices even into some of our conditioning drills. Mouth mm-hmm. shut, nose only, using the gearing of nose, 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 mouth, that sort of thing. Um, we do a lot of quick breath hold work in some of our tra- skill conditioning because what I realized is that we were developing this thing called the kluge effect, which is we were, the program is getting really sophisticated. So you go to a jump rope course and you go to kettlebell course and mm-hmm. suddenly you have this, this thing that you're like, you can't see first principles. Um, we're always trying to do less in the gym, simplify more in the gym. Um, I think there was a time where my wife and I became, I, we had a couple babies. We were working. Um, she was an attorney. The gym was our expression of our physical selves. We didn't have a lot of time to do sports. Mm-hmm. the whole point for training is that we're training for something. And I think as we all got really excited about swinging kettlebells and becoming competent in Olympic lifting, um, being competent movers again, 
we forgot that the application of that was actually out in the world. And um, one of the things that Julian and I have really, like, I see a lot of people trying to make the gym everything. And I think that's a mistake. And I think we can focus on the, the things that we should do, coordination, strength, right? Finding the holes. But you and I can go play Frisbee for 20 minutes on the grass. And I guarantee you we'll put our spines into more shapes and end up. And we, we've forgotten the joy of games. We've forgotten the joy of playing. Mm-hmm. Suddenly the gym becomes recursive. I'm in the gym so I can be better in the gym. So I can be better in the gym. And that's okay if you're a lift lifter or powerlifter, but it's not okay if our goal is sports preparation. So the, the real conversations are how are we developing athleticism and play? And I think it's easy to take your eye off that narrative because it's, it's so easy to get strong. It's so easy to, to, to see development and progress. And at some point, I really feel like you are strong enough. At some point, you're, you're actually fit enough, believe it or not. Um, and I know that because my powerlifter friends, you know, Donnie Thompson almost squat 1300. He's like, Kelly, I think I could squat 1400. I was like, didn't you tell me your femurs were bowing when you unsquatted 1300? He's like, yeah, I felt like they were bowing, like they were going to break. I was like, so that's when you stop. So the strongest man in the world at the time wasn't strong enough. Yeah. You know, my, my, um, my, one of my best friends is a woman named Erin Kafaro, who was an Olympic rower and her last six K test in the erg. So if you've ever been on a rowing machine, mm-hmm. it's terrible. Um, she wrote a six K like a one forty five split is a pretty good split for six K. She wrote a one forty four split for six K. So next wow. time you're rowing, just hold one forty four for you know two K and let me know how that goes for you. <laughs> and then and then think, oh you're a you know five foot eight, you know, hundred forty pound woman, you should do one forty four. So she got off that and she's like, I just don't feel very fit. And I was like, Yeah, I understand what you mean. You're just a dumpy, dumpy, crappy athlete. So <laughs> what we it's easy to track that and even our old masters like Bondarchuk in track and field would say hey look you're strong enough getting you know benching 600 doesn't make you a better shot putter throwing makes you a better shot putter developing your athleticism harry mara is uh as a known to us kind of a friend and you know, he was the decathlon coach for you know um adam eaton uh brian tyson eaton and so greatest track coach ever in decathlon and his last year they did so much medicine ball work being springy, being athletic, getting outside, playing, rotation speed. And I think it's easy to, again, lose why we're in the gym mm-hmm. because the gym is so fun. But if, you know, if your pro- secret score program takes two hours or three hours, I'm like, mm, it's not. I mean, what happened to the old idea that if your, tes- your testosterone spiked in 55 minutes? Remember that, that old yeah. thing, right? Uh-huh. So it, sometimes it, if I'm an Olympic lifter, it takes me longer than an hour to Olympic lift. Yeah. But for the average person, we should be getting in the gym, getting what needs to get done. And that means be ruthless on our front squats, be ruthless on push press, be able to power snatch mm-hmm. some of the basics, but let's stop trying to make the gym all things to all people all the time. And that you're going to have to have phases and waves. Mm-hmm. So it's gotten simple for us. I need you to go out and play. Yeah. And uh, I think we really screwed that up and, and we screwed it up because we're part of that problem because it's so simple, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, I got to say this uh, past hour and a half has been awesome. Just Dude, learning. From I'm so you. sorry. We're just running. I mean, I mean the people, the people, I mean, you're, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, I mean, it's, you guys are such nerds keep up your nerd dumb. Keep, keep pointing what we need to do. Cause we keep, we keep shining on you guys and we're just, we're crushing on you hard because you're doing such a good job. 
It, it means so much. Um, where can people find all the stuff that's going on with Mobility Wad nowadays? Well, we are at Mobility Wad, and um, you know we're 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 still working. We we have so much planned. I can't talk about it yet, okay. but I'll tell you that there's so much cool stuff coming down. And um, I feel like we we now are like you. We're just we're getting to a place where we're beginning to understand. But the real application is how do I work this into my daughter's elementary school? Mm-hmm. How do I work at this organization level? How do I reform the army? Mm-hmm. How do I reform these huge organizations? Because what you're seeing is we've got to start earlier. We've got to have a through narrative and have people better prepared. And you know, then you can chase chase your little rabbit. You want to be a powerlifter? You want to be a runner? Whatever you want. Yeah. But uh, you know, we have a lot. We have a lot coming. And uh, I mean, we just haven't even, I feel like we're in first gear. Yeah. I'm excited to see what, uh, what comes out in the future. Well, thanks so much for coming on today's show. Everyone out there listening, if you would uh, share the show across Instagram, tag Squat University and Mobility One in it and uh, share it around with all your friends. Again, thank you guys so much for checking out today's show. It means so much to me to uh, have you guys uh, listen and uh, spend some of your day learning from what we have to share. Until next week, guys, happy squatting. That's it for today, class, on Squat University by Dr. Aaron Horshig. For more exclusive content, log on to squatuniversity.com.